Well, hey, welcome back to the For Jesus podcast. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm one of the pastors at Redemption Church Gateway. I'm here today with Alessi DeBartolo. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Alessi. I don't know if I'm having you yeah, since you're a host of the I show, know. but and That's our third host bad. is Joshua Reese. He's here as well. Yeah, I'm really excited. Can you tell? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm super excited. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, there it is. So, seven. so we're talking uh, this week about another issue related to the election and just all the stuff that's going on there. We're in this King Jesus 2020 mini series as a podcast and yep. then kind of a prayer initiative as a church. And so we're looking at different issues each week. Today, we're talking with Jeremy Olam, who's one of the pastors at Redemption Church Gateway. No, he's a he's not a Redemption Church Gateway. No. People are like Gilbert. We were like, wait, I haven't met him. Yeah, he's he's a redemption Gilbert. Surprise. Yeah. And uh, so we'll talk to him in a little bit. But Reese, you guys, uh, you and your family, man, you've been experiencing the healthcare system lately. Tell us about it. Yeah, I tell you what, it is a smooth operating machine. There's nothing wrong with it and nothing needs fixed ever. No. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, my wife had a car accident. It was pretty minimal, I thought. And so, um, but yeah, that was September of last year. And I'm still dealing with a lot of things and had a whole lot of crazy expenses of just a pretty smashed up finger that needed pins and was pretty oh, nasty. Yeah. Gosh. If you go to her Instagram, you can see that. That's pretty fun. But yeah, just, uh, I think we need to talk about what we're talking about. Cause it is a little bit uh, broken. I don't think anyone would say our healthcare is like, Oh, it's great. I mean, it is functional and I'm not yelling at anybody cause I didn't think of a better plan and I don't have one yet. Mm. Um, but it is good to think through like the, the amount of money that uh, I've ha I have buried into a finger mm. that was pretty minimal. It got me thinking like, whoa, I'm glad nothing crazy happened, not just for her injury sides, but like sure. my finances. <laughs> like I don't know how I would even begin to touch that, you know? And and we have all these insurances and things that we need, but it, it really very rarely uh, meets what it needs to meet. So, well, the politicians like to call issues like this, the kitchen table issues. They're the mm -hmm. things that, you know, families are dealing with at the kitchen table and healthcare is one of these things. Everybody's dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's dealing quite as directly say with abortion, like we talked about last time, yeah. but healthcare, man, it's, it's everywhere. Everyone's going to touch it. Everyone's going to experience it at some point. And I think this conversation we have with Jeremy is just going to really be a blessing. Um, he, he had a great line in it where he said, keep it, complicated Keep it complicated <laughs> and I think that was just such a good window into how yeah. complex these political issues are we want them to be cut and dry we want it to be good and bad we want it to be good versus evil and it's not always quite that way so I think that this conversation will be um, will be stretching and it'll mm -hmm. be challenging I think you'll even hear I, I think we heard as we talked to Jeremy just how stretched he feels about yeah. it mm. um, and so I think there's just a ton to learn from this conversation whether you end up agreeing with where Jeremy is on this stuff or not having the conversation, listening to it. And man, I think it's just such a good thing to hear from a, a brother in Christ and a pastor uh, that we love and are connected to. So yeah, Jeremy Olam is on staff at Redemption Gilbert. He leads their adult uh, discipleship ministry. Jeremy and I did seminary together for oh, wow. uh, four years, spent uh, every Tuesday morning in a living room. <laughs> and uh, he and his family just have a sweet heart for the Lord. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to be uh, encouraged by it. So yeah, it was, it was a totally different, uh, just to let you guys know, uh, stay through the rest of the podcast. It, yes. it was totally different than even my standpoint on things, but it was at, at least it was very interesting to hear uh, a different perspective, a different viewpoint. So, yeah. yeah. So with that, uh, here's our interview with Jeremy Olam. Jeremy, welcome to the For Jesus podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're really glad you're here. We just found out that this is actually the second podcast you've been on before. You've been on another kind? 
Yes. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm <laughs> glad I revealed that to you before we started recording. Yeah, I've been on uh, an unnamed comic book podcast. Oh. Comic book com- podcast. Yeah, they'd probably say graphic novels because they wanted to have some gravitas, but <laughs> it's just comic So books. do you have some uh, expertise in that world? or uh, I'm a geek from way back, so yeah, I've read many a comic book yes <laughs> i yes. mean you mean a graphic novel i think yeah so a graphic novel yeah. well we're not here to talk about graphic novels or comic books uh, we're talking about something much more serious healthcare. and it's interesting as we have this conversation you know i i think about there are a lot of different people we could have invited to a conversation about healthcare. Mm-hmm. there are plenty of doctors and nurses and even people in the insurance industry and lots of different things i you think you probably should have went with that yeah. i don't know <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, i don't we'll, trust him we'll find, i'm going with you we'll find out <laughs> but there might be people going a uh, pastor, a pastor of Redemption Gilbert of adult discipleship, what in the world would he have to say about healthcare? And so um, <clears throat> let's maybe just start with your story. How did you begin to care about um, issues related to healthcare? Yeah, I would love to say that it's, uh, you know, because I have some golden heart that wants to care about people's healthcare issues. I care about healthcare like most people care about most issues because it happened to me. Mm. Uh, so my wife, Rachel and I, uh, we, when we had our first son, he was diagnosed through a newborn screening with a disorder called cystic fibrosis, uh, which was not something that we knew anything about at the time. Um, Turns out it's a very serious genetic disorder that my wife and I were carriers for that we were completely unaware of. We had no knowledge or history of that. Um, and he he is now, uh, he'll be turning 13 next month. So we've been walking through that journey for quite a while. Uh, we had, we spent a lot of time thinking about whether we should continue having more kids. We had wanted to have a bigger family and obviously this threw a wrench into it. Um, we prayed and really thought for a long time about what we should do. We decided to have another kid. Our second child, Paxson, uh, also had cystic fibrosis and a rare genetic disorder. Doctor said one in a million, like we won the lottery or something. Mm. Uh, And he died at 11 days of age, uh, which was devastating and Mm. very difficult. And it left us with the same question. We still want to have more kids and we spent mm. all this time wrestling about whether we should, and we didn't feel like that changed. So we, we got pregnant and had a, another son. His name is Beck. Beck is uh, eight years old. He also has cystic fibrosis. So uh, I don't know if you remember back to high school genetics class, but when you're carriers, you have a 25% chance that if those two parent carriers have a child, they will have the mm. disease. Wow. Uh, and we're three for three. I did mm. the math one time. It's, it's a, pretty low percentage that we would end up with three kids with cystic fibrosis, but it is a, it is a, for, for those of you that aren't familiar, it is a cellular disorder that causes the cells of the body to not, uh, hydrate the body properly. And it causes a cascade of serious effects. Um, life expectancy at the time that Asher was born was somewhere in the late thirties, uh, for people born with CF. And so we've, we got plunged into a world that was very different than what our world looked like before. We were average, you know, late twenties, healthy people. Yeah. When I remember, um, I don't remember exactly at what point it was, but it feels like pretty early in, um, maybe even soon after you had Asher, you started doing fundraising and other things related to cystic fibrosis. And that was maybe, was that kind of your first step into, um, kind of engaging the issue more broadly. Yeah. I mean, anytime something like this happens in your life, you, you, the first, I think natural response is to feel like everything's out of my control and I don't know what to do. Um, but we're 
we're active doers as people. And so that didn't last very long. It was like, okay, well, we need to help find a cure for this disease. We need to find uh, medicine for this disease. How do we do that? We're going to fundraise. And so my wife was crushing it, fundraising around the church and in our community and doing a great job, which, um, you know, brought us to the attention of people in the cystic fibrosis community because they, you always want people that have a community and can raise money. And we were doing a good job at that. So, yeah. And so you began to raise money and just care for your boys and love yeah. your boys and um, a lot of breathing treatments. What, um, what are the other things that just kind of their healthcare has looked like over these last years? Yeah. So uh, just for an average day, uh, healthy kids with cystic fibrosis, they do about an hour and a half of uh physical treatments every day. So they have uh, vest machines that shake them to break loose mucus in their lungs. They do inhaled nebulizer treatments both morning and night. Uh, and then they take a regiment of pills. So, you know, uh, something in the neighborhood of 60 pills a day per kid that they have to take. So our boys learned how to swallow pills at two years old. Oh. Um, <clears throat> you know, when that, your friend's teenager is like, yeah, I my, can't my swallow this. Freshman is still trying to yeah, figure it out. Yeah. She's like, you know, she's like a Break puppy that half. has to like right. put it in yogurt <laughs> yeah, or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> Hide it in the cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my boys have no problem. They swallow handfuls of pills. So, and, and that's, and that's uh, kind of like, no, I mean, that's just, that's, that's if they're doing well minimum. and there's no end in sight. Yeah. Mm. There's been, there, there's been a lot of, uh, progress in development of new drugs and research. But at this point, everything has just kind of added to the regiment. So mm -hmm. those things that they've added, I think are helping them to stay healthier longer, but it hasn't removed any of the burden. In fact, it's probably increased it. So that's been a, wow. that's been a big challenge. And then if they get sick, there's hospitalizations. The average CF patient is spends uh, anywhere from three to six weeks in the hospital a year in adulthood because of the devastating nature of the disease. So you, as you just love your family, are finding yourself spending a lot of time, my guess is a lot of money. Yes. Um, a lot of time. Trying to care for them. Yeah. Um, w what were some other, as you kind of entered that world, both personally and then kind of in the fundraising and getting connected to other CF families, what other things kind of surprised you? What did you discover? Right off the bat, uh, well, I think we did what anyone would do is you try to find people who are experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing to get mm -hmm. some of their expertise. Sure. And within the first six months of us having Asher's diagnosis, we were told by four independent people that the, one of the first things that we needed to do was get divorced. What? And, and I, re I remember the first time that happened, I was like, what? And they said, here's the deal. This disease will devastate you financially. And if you make any money, you'll make too much money to, to qualify for governmental help for your health care for your kids. So what you need to do is get divorced and then Rachel will be a single mom and she can qualify for government assistance so that you aren't, aren't forced into bankruptcy. And I remember the first person told me and wow. we left and I was like, that person is crazy. <laughs> and then another person told us and another oh. person told us this was a, this was a narrative in the cystic fibrosis community mm. that the way that you survive this is to divorce your spouse and make them destitute on paper so that the government could oh, step in to help. Goodness. And oh. that was a, wow. that was a earth shattering moment going, wow, this not only is maybe this a scarier road than I thought it was going to be financially. These are legitimate answers in America. Mm. Wow. Divorce your spouse. 
And you didn't do it, right? You didn't. No, we talked about it. No. <laughs> no. I mean, no, that's, that's really sad to that. That's the the answer. That's the extreme. That that was wow. yeah. It was shocking. And so, as you've gotten closer and more into it, have you found that oh man, that really is crazy, or do you go? No, I see why people do that. Oh, I I totally understand why people mm. talked about it that way. Uh, we very early on talked about we were we had settled here in Arizona. We were connected to the church. We had community family. Um, we very seriously considered moving back to Minnesota, where Rachel's parents are, and primarily was because uh, Minnesota had a better state program to help kids with special needs. Um, so these. These factors of how do we navigate this in a way that is someone will support us and not devastate us financially has been part of the equation right from the get-go. Um, you know, one of the things that makes this this conversation awkward is that it leads you into places that traditionally uh, conservative Christians don't tend to wade. And so one of the things is Obamacare is a great conversation, the Affordable Care Act that conversation has actually ceased because of the Affordable Care Act. So many people in our community we talk to and they, Obamacare is not a good thing. It's hurt us financially or whatever those things are for our community. P- people in the church. People, people in, yeah, it's a general feeling. People. I'm conservative politically. Obamacare is a bad thing. And, and I think there's legitimate things that it, legitimate problems that introduced into the system. But for our community, it did a few things, which has taken the divorce conversation off the table, which is insurance mm. companies can't reject you because of pre-existing conditions anymore. They can't put lifetime caps on the care. We, When we first had Asher, we had good insurance, and we had a $2 million lifetime cap on our insurance. The current so Tell us a lifetime cap, meaning the insurance life, company is not going to pay li- out the, more The insurance company dollars. says, we cover you, but once you hit $2 million in payouts, done. you're done. We're, wow. we're washing our hands. You go somewhere else. Okay. Which, I mean, when we were healthy, it was like $2 million. Okay. Like, I didn't even know what the number was because it seems like uh, last year, my son's prescription drug costs, just prescription drugs, was $750,000. So to put that in perspective, so two, two, two million, million you're going to be through it really quick. Um, the Affordable Care Act said they can't put caps on, they can't restrict access to specialty care, which all of our stuff is specialty care. Um, you know, those are major protections that came in that helped our community in a massive way and has really stopped a lot of those conversations because the divorce conversation was really tied up in if even if you can afford private insurance, you're going to be in a situation really quickly where you've used it all up and now what are you going to do? Wow. Which we didn't understand all the complexities of that conversation before, but now I do. So, um, how did you, so so you, you're dealing with everything with your family, loving, caring, uh, and then you did some fundraising, but between there and now you've, um, you know, developed a, a lot more advocacy work and other, you know, you've taken multiple trips to Washington, D.C. Um, maybe tell us a little bit of that story. Yeah, we, we had gotten good at raise, at fundraising. Um, and at those fundraisers, I would speak to the people who would come to the fundraiser, which you would expect, talk to them about the disease and what we were trying to raise money for. Um, because we were doing a good job with that, people from the foundation itself would come to support us after they were seeing what we were doing, they would hear me speak. And it's the reality that you, I've come to realize that if you're in a niche community and you have ability to communicate with any confidence, you're kind of like a unicorn. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because it, it's not like this is a disease that picks a speak, you know, it doesn't show up at Toastmasters. And, <laughs> so it's a rare thing. They go, oh, my gosh, this guy can talk and he can articulate and he's persuasive. We're going to use this. And so they introduced us to their advocacy team, which was really getting off the ground. And the entire idea of the advocacy portion of the Cystic Fibrosis uh, Foundation is that whether we like it or not, uh, both our state governments and our national governments make massive decisions that impact the ability for our community to thrive and many other communities with like ours. And so we, we got involved. They, they host uh, one day a year in Washington, DC, where they fly out parents and advocates from states across the country. And then we go to, to Capitol Hill and we knock on the doors of our senators and our Congress people. We have meetings. We're not just showing up unannounced, but we have meetings set and we talk about the issues that really impact our community. And so, you know, part of the political conversation over the past four years has really been the Affordable Care Act. Do we repeal it? Do we replace it? Do we change it? We have been a constant voice sitting in the offices, both Republican and Democrat, saying we understand there are still massive issues in the healthcare system in America. Mm. We understand changes need to happen. Here are the things that if and when they change cannot change for our community. Mm. And it's the things I already talked to you about that have yeah. kept us from talking about getting a divorce so we, don't, <laughs> so we can have insurance. It's like, I know we're going to change things. We need to change things. Don't change these things, please. Mm. And, and that's been... I have to be honest, that's been massively empowering as a mm. dad who has had this put on our plate and it feels very out of our control and very, um, it can feel, it can feel very Damask, uh, demoralizing, demasculate. Am I using the right word? I Demasculating? Know. I, I know what you mean. Emasculating. That's the word. <laughs> emasculating. emasculating. Because your job as a dad is like, Hey, I'm here. Here's what I do. I protect yeah. my family. And it's mm. like, I can't protect them against this. What do I do with mm. well, this has been hugely, um, encouraging in that way. Yeah. So, um, you kind of headed to the swamp, so to speak. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you, what, what surprised you there? Right. Most, most of us, I'm guessing most of us listening, um, at most maybe filled out a form online to contact a right. congressman or something. You're actually showing up in the offices in the Capitol uh, man, what, what was that like? What, what was I opening there? Um, uh, my patriotic like spirit really rose. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, first of all, I had never been, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a farm kid from North Dakota originally. I had never been to Washington DC. Just being around the historic halls of America was incredible. I was terrified because we were going to walk into these very important people's offices and talk about very important things. I, I realized it, they're really accessible. Mm. We, uh, and they actually care that maybe that was the most shocking thing. Like mm. there's a level of cynicism that had built I'm up. Shocked to you. Uh, yeah. You right. No. Yeah. I, I'm just imagining them kind of nodding, nodding, looking at their watch. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to lie to you. How much longer? <laughs> or the dear listeners of this podcast. That does family. happen occasionally. That does happen occasionally. But for the most part, we were handed some research that was done before one of our first trips when we were there. That's they polled uh, people who work in Congress and mm. said, what makes a difference in the way you think or vote. And the number one they, thing they said was in-person constituent visits. 
wow. was the number one thing that influenced the way that really? they vote. And so it, it's been hugely uh, beneficial and surprising to me. You can walk in, you can have a conversation. Wow. They're normal people. Honestly, most of the time you're meeting with their staffer who's a 25-year-old, you know, recent graduate. But those people actually influence those conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's been very empowering. And it made me really... Uh, our society loves to make us cynical about our political process, and there's lots of reasons to be cynical about it. But it really made me believe, hey, this thing actually can probably work, and it also convinced me, man, Christians need to be doing this kind of stuff way more. Oh, wow. Our voice really makes a difference when wow. we show up, say what we care about, why we care about it, um, and, and not just complain about it on Facebook. So are, are that you, doesn't do anything <laughs> so far. It hasn't really paid off too much, but are, this is the year. The implication there sounds like you're saying there aren't that many Christians that you've encountered doing this. Mm. No, I, I, that's probably an overstatement. There's, okay. you know, you probably have people listening to go, Oh yeah, we do that with the faith coalition or whatever. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that's probably true. Um, but being a Christian, pa- I am viewed as an anomaly when I show up in that world, which tells me something. Yeah. Mm. Um, the fact that in when I say that I'm an evangelical pastor, usually I hold that in my back pocket until they like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tell them, and it is, you can just see cogs spinning. Like, ah. They're trying to fi- figure out what bucket you go in. Yes, and, can't decide. and it was hard, which tells me there's not a lot of hmm. back and forth. Now, that's that's probably an oversimplification. But it also made me realize sure. you we should be there. We should be talking about this stuff. We should be... Uh, influencing in the ways that we think the kingdom uh, direction on issues should be being pushed. Hmm. So um, I'm imagining that you probably had some conversation with some people who are like strong repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, repeal and replace Obamacare Yes, folks. And you're sitting there and you're telling them your story and the implications of what would happen if they were to do that in certain ways. A lot would have depended how it would have been repealed and replaced, of course, but... Um, did it get tense? Did it get yeah, we had, weird? Very ugly? specifically what was that like? in 2000, it would be 2017. So it was right after the Trump administration um, took office. There was a lot of confidence at that point. Like we, we had won quote unquote. And so we're going to do what our policy initiatives are, which was repeal and replace. And we sat in one meeting and we told our story and my, my wife comes with me. Rachel's lovely and gentle and soft and she's a mom. And so she's communicating heart and, and we're sitting across the table from a a young woman in her mid twenties, probably. And and she listened to our whole story and then she kind of sat up in her chair and she said, well, you're just going to have to deal with it because we're doing it in the most like flat and cold way you can imagine. And my wife just breaks down crying. Now, one of the things that's really unique about it is like, I would have said that was very demoralizing and oh my gosh, I can't believe this. We showed up the next year. She still works in the office. She's excited to see us. She remembers us. She gives Mm -hmm. us a hug. And we saw her year after year for probably three years. And then we showed up one year and she had left a message because she knew that we were showing up. She had moved on to a different office telling them, hey, when these people show up, give them your time. And Mm. it it really convinced me too, like, don't write people off, Mm. you know, don't burn a relationship because someone hurt your feelings. There's some pretty good lessons you can take, you know, outside of Washington, D.C., fortunately. Yeah. Um, but, yes, there are there have been those moments where it's like, hey, your story is sad. 
we're, we're sorry that's happened to you. We're still going to take all this stuff away. Sure. <laughs> so that, yeah, sure. That, yeah. Well, and that is hard. I mean, when you make decisions, you, totally. you have hard decisions to make, right? We, we've just done a thing here at Redemption Gateway where we had a 5 p.m. service for a long time. Um, some portion of people, that was the only service they could attend. Right. We've had to make difficult choices based on resources and other things to not have that anymore. And, and that just, it stinks. I mean, it's terrible. Um, now know. their only option is to get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I am moved by that, 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 so as somebody, I'll just throw it out there. I, I was, I'm against Obamacare. Like I was like, oh, this is, it's not great. I don't think blah, blah, blah. And I went, I could list off some things that I don't like about it. And it made my life. Yeah, uh, more difficult totally. at the time um, to be moved in, in towards people is always a good thing. And so I've, I've even like, I've known you for a while and I've known some of your story, but even just sitting right here has pulled me towards you and pulled me towards this idea of like, wait a minute. So you're saying your sons could not live without this um, medication, this stuff that is expensive and mm. why is it expensive? We can go on right, and off right, on that. Right. Uh, why is it so expensive? But the reality is that is caring for a life. So if you were to vote for Obamacare and be like, this has to happen, I'm like, how could you vote for that? Because it, this is, I'm with, oh, that was my water bottle. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it affects other things over here that I don't align with or my party doesn't align with. Um, I just think that's crazy. You know, we say it a lot. You can be a Christian and vote this or that. You can be a and and it feels like we kind of just say it, but we don't really believe it. We kind of are like, yeah, but there's a more Christian way to vote. Um, and you're kind of presenting this. Hey, this is why I would maybe be more liberal in this way because this, or maybe be more conservative in this way. And it's fascinating to me as I kind of looked at it and and have been drawn towards your story. So, yeah, I mean. Like I said, I, I grew up, I'm a, a Christian evangelical. I grew up in a uh, conservative Baptist home in on the farmlands of North Dakota. I, I am at my heart, wh- however you define a conservative person, it's like that, those are my people. And yeah. so, and even the healthcare conversation before we had kids with healthcare needs, I had strong opinions about healthcare and what we should do, but sure. they were all philosophical because right. I was healthy. And so I was like, here's what we should do. Yeah. And now, I mean, these are the moments that really rattle how clean cut your way of looking at the world Mm. is because you go, wow, I was really adamant that I knew what the answers were in this. And that opinion would have totally destroyed the me from five years further down the road. Mm. Okay, what, how do I wrestle with that? What does that look like? And, and believe me, I'm the last person who's going to sit here and tell you that Obamacare solved American health care. It, sure. it is far from that answer. Uh, but it's also not as simple as just saying, like, it, it's all garbage, throw it all away. Right. Um, because families like mine have really seen hope uh, in basic health for my children and the longevity of their life that have really been protected by the things that that government, governmental, you know, it's an abomination of stuff. Like it is just like this massive, this is welcome to American legislative process, right? It's a huge pile of good, bad, ugly, cynical, good hearted. This is welcome to America. Um, (laughs) And my argument is let's just not 
baby with the bathwater kind of thing. Like there's some really good stuff here that we should hold on to that should be foundational for, for me as a Christian, now that I know this community exists and it exists in my house, mm. how do I think about the ways that we should protect them even at cost to me or to us? That's one of the things that's always so challenging because that conversation typically comes down to, well, this has been worse for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hear it. I get it. Your healthcare options might have been worse. The cost might have been more. Yeah. But it's been better for my family. And so sure. now now what do we do? Well, and that, that's where I, um, and Reese, I think you're, you're kind of pushing into this as well, is I think it was Carl Truman, uh, who's a theolo- theology professor, I think, and he has a line where he says, politics are nuanced, voting is not. Right? right. When you think about right. politics right. as a whole, right. there's lots of nuance, there's lots of gray, there's lots of, when it comes to voting, it's pretty black and white. Right. It's this, this or, or that. that. Right, that's um, exactly right. And so at this point, right, at, at the time of this recording, yes. there is now a vacancy in the Supreme Court. Right. Um, there's a big concern that one of the big issues that's going to probably go before the Supreme Court again, I yes. think it's already been up three times. Yes. I think it's potentially going to go up for a fourth time is related to the Affordable Care Act. Yes. Um, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm no pundit here, but as far as I can tell, the, the Republicans have had about a decade to come up with a here's our plan. Right. And if they have it, they just haven't really said what it is. They're being very secretive of that plan. Yeah. So as it stands right now, and and then on the democratic side, you have, um, you have affordable care act as it is. You have a desire for Medicare for all, you have Medicare for all who want it. You have lots of different other sort of options. So, so where it stands now, um, to be able to protect your family, if that was the most important issue, would mean you'd kind of have to also get a package of lots of other things that you'd be against. Mm. I can imagine oh, yeah. someone yeah. listening to this going, yeah. but wait, 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 you can't vote for the stuff that's pro Obamacare without getting all the other Romans one stuff. That's really totally. terrible. Yeah. You know, yeah. All- Welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, you're and, exactly And right. so for me, as someone that's not living with that issue in the same way, um, especially if I don't think about you yeah, and don't sure. have to care about you, which I, I don't think we could even biblically say that's an option if we're brothers in Christ. And we, how do you process that? Yeah. Right. This is so easy for people detached. It's this or that. Well, clearly I'm against abortion. I'm against this. So yeah. here I go. What do you, how do you, how do you do that? I'm not asking you to say how you, how you vote. No, right? totally. But I'm, how do you think that through? Well, it's certainly complex. Um, the, the reality is abortion is a massive issue, um, particularly for people of faith. Um, I, I, I think it's irresponsible for anyone to act as if it isn't a, a, a big piece mm. of the pie that we need to configure. Mm. What you just said about, like, if healthcare is the only thing I'm going to co- be concerned about, then I have to vote this way. And it's going to come with a whole bunch of a big bucket of, you know, chum that I'm not really looking forward to drinking. Uh, I have to be really honest that if, if abortion is the only thing that I'm going to vote on, the same thing is true. Uh, it's a different bucket of chum, but it's also got a lot of stuff in there. I'm not real excited about. And so it, it is a really difficult thing um, to wrestle through. 
And I also don't want to be sucked into the same kind of vortex of selfish thinking that I can be so easy to accuse other people of not considering my family when the only thing I consider is my family. You know, part of being involved in this advocacy is a realization that although I am advocating for my family, there is a massive portion of our American populace that would fit into a category very similar to my family that also is impacted by these things in a, in a really big way. Um, it is way more complex than just saying these are the good guys and those are the bad guys. And so we easily line up with the good guys and shun the bad guys. Cause my, my categories were rattled within the first three meetings when I, four meetings, because I walked into two Republican offices and two Democrat offices and the, and you realize, wait, these are real people. And these Democrat people are like, really nice. (laughs) They were excited to see us. And that lady, when I told our story, started crying. Mm. Like she really heard me and she cared. And, and then they ran and got their boss and brought that person actually in the, I didn't meet with them in anyone else's office, but they came in and wanted to hear our story and say, you know, wow. Okay. This got real, this got really complicated. I had categories for the way this was all going to work. Those people were going to be nice. And Mm. these ones were going to be mean and weird. And none of that seemed to be happening the way I thought it was going to be. That's been challenging. Wow. In a good way, I think. So, um, man, I, I, I just think about how complex that is. Um, most of us are just so uncomfortable with tension. Um, I am too. Well, but you've, you've, because it's you've had to lean into it. Into it. Right. Yeah. So, so, is there an option where I can opt out? Cause I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll go for easy. No tension. So how have you kept heart in the middle of the all that tension? Uh, well, part of it is seeing that there, there is actual some fruitfulness. I'll give you a great example. Now, if you're the, if you're listening to this and you think Obamacare is the worst thing ever hoisted on the American people, you can write me an email and blame me because the third time that there was an attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare, uh, the cystic fibrosis community or foundation in in Maryland called us and said, could you fly out on two days notice to be here? Because we think there's going to be one last push and we really want your voice to be heard in this. And we think Arizona is going to be a key vote. Mm. And so we said, yes, we will do it. And so we flew out and we did a 24 hour turnaround in Washington, hit the, hit the Hill. And we were in John McCain's office before he passed away uh, and talked to his chief uh, legislative assistant or chief of staff, I think it was about the issue and told them how we felt and what this was going to mean for us. And we went home and the next day they held a vote and, uh, Washington, you know, is three or whatever hours ahead of us. And so it got really late and they were still on the floor debating this thing. And I went to bed cause I was defeated. I'm like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. My kids are going to exist in a different world. I don't know how we're going to provide for them. And I woke up at five o'clock the next morning, really struggling cause I didn't sleep well. And I got online, got on Twitter, I think. And the first thing I see is a video of John McCain on the floor of the Senate giving a thumbs down, which defeated the attempt to overturn it. And I just broke down weeping in my living room. And it was like, uh, it, it, was, it was a complicated feeling. One of feeling like, okay, my kids, at least for tomorrow, have these protections, which are hugely important. But it was also this moment of like, I think our voice really did something. Like, I think we were just in John McCain's office yesterday talking about this and he voted against his own party to say no. Now 
I know it's not that simple. It wasn't, he doesn't have a piece of paper with my picture on it saying <laughs> this guy and his family, but. So everybody can be mad at you. Yeah, everybody can be mad at me. You can not blame John. me. It yes, you. it was not John. Uh, but those moments, and I would really be remiss if I did not talk about our community at Redemption Gilbert, where, where I pastor. People have for 12, 13 years now just cared about us. I mean, the fact, Luke, that you called me to come talk about this, you've, you've known me for a long time, you know our story, the church, and, and this is what's been really beautiful about it. I know where our church, like if you had to put people in piles of where they are politically, I know which pile most of our people are in, and I appreciate that and understand it, and yet they've been willing to hear our story, yeah. to love us in the yes. midst of it, to wrestle with things that don't line up really cleanly with what they probably want it to be and still care about us and hear our story. I've had tons of lunches with people that I just want to hear because I've never talked to anybody who, who thinks about this the way you have to. And that's been really encouraging. We're not alone, mm. which has been great. So this puts you on the spot a little bit, but I'm imagining someone listening and they just heard you know, as Reese pointed out, that it's your fault that the yes. Affordable Care yeah, Act. Totally. I did, saved it. Yeah. Yeah. You saved it. You know, thump, that epic thumbs down moment yes. of McCain. And and they kind of just want to write you off right now and sure. go, golly, what's wrong with that guy? That's fair. Um, That's not fair. But how, I hear that. How would you, how would you talk to someone like that? How would you encourage? So maybe now you're putting your pastor hat on. Sure. A little bit and saying, how would you how would you, how would you talk to that person? What would you hope for our church in the midst of such partisan division? Um, yeah. I think I would say that we do not have the luxury as Christians to make purely philosophical decisions mm-hmm. apart from the experience of people, particularly the people in our community, but just people in general. My commandment to love my neighbor as myself means that I'm going to make choices that disadvantage me for someone else's advantage. Uh, and in this case, th- I know what has been sold to the general public is a very clear cut, good versus evil, right versus wrong. And it's more complex than that. And in particular, that vote, I really do believe that because it was not also backed up with a solution that would protect families like mine, like I'm all for, we need to change the American healthcare system. I'm a hundred percent convinced of that. Mm -hmm. What we have now is not working really for anybody very well, Mm -hmm. but when we do it, we can't come in with a bulldozer and just raise everything to the ground because people die when that happens. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not just like people, (laughs) it's my children, my children, are on the line uh, and my friend's children are on the line mm-hmm. when that does those decisions happen. And so for something like that, really my message to John McCain was not, I think Obamacare is the greatest thing that ever happened. My message to him was we will leave a wake of devastation, hurt and death behind us. If we're not careful in the way we move forward, I'm saying we need to move forward. Please do it in a very thoughtful way. Because it really matters to a lot of people, including my family. That would be my argument. And, and I think as Christians, we live in a country that gives us such amazing freedom, access to power. A piece of the pie is ours. Mm. 
I, somebody said to me one time, uh, you know, I, I got so tired of uh, being mad about how the government spent my taxes. And so I read the verse that Jesus says, render under Caesar, what's Caesar's? And so I just let it go. Now I just write the check and I don't care. And I said, that's great. But what happens when you're Caesar? Because that's the American experiment right there. You're Caesar, at least in some bit. So what are you going to do with your bit of, you know, ownership that we've been given to steward this thing? And as Christians, my gosh, what a great responsibility that we've been entrusted with to say, Christians do this this way. Hmm. It's not just about, well, we had a big debate a number of years ago in my redemption community uh, about uh, education policy, which, you know, surprise, surprise, people disagree about <laughs> homeschool and charter and public and whatever all those things are. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what the answer is because I don't know what, what it is, but I will tell you this. If the only way that you vote on this issue is how it affects your family, you're not voting like a Christian. Mm-hmm. Christians have to. We, we have been commanded to care about our neighbor first. And so, therefore, that makes it really complicated. And sometimes that means I'm going to vote against my own interests in order to help those people. And my goodness, that's talk about an un-American idea. No, you vote for what mm. you need. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling now. No, okay. I think it's all good. I, I really, for anybody that's listening, um, it's easy to not see you. Like, sure. it's easy to just be like, yeah, that's done. Especially and, on a podcast. And, yeah, because <laughs> you're just a voice. Um, it's even, it's it's... I'm just saying, uh, as far as Luke, Alessi, and, and I, um, inviting you here because we know you, we love you, we consider you a brother in Christ, and, and as such things, you presented this this tension to us that um, I think is really easy to just kind of write it off. I know I just, when I think my brain's been just turning right now and and struggling, and I just want to go to sleep because I'm like, this is a hard thing. Totally. Um, well, yeah, because you got this, you have this issue, right. but then you've got... 50 other issues. Right. Totally. Right. And I, and how do I balance my interests and yeah. someone else's interests? And when they're all competing interests, yeah. I mean, it, it I, ends up being really a huge mess that yeah makes you want to go to sleep. Yeah. And it's real easy <laughs> to like, even try to find other hidden daggers like, Oh, well they have an agenda here. They have this and that. And I'm just saying, um, I don't think we do. I think I, we wanted to hear very clearly uh, from you today about uh, the healthcare things that you know about that, I've not, you've thought about it a lot more than me because mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with that. I most had to decide was which plan I was going to pick for my uh, health care, you know, and, and that was simple. You had a choice? So. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess I was dental. I went with a cheaper one. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, uh, but anyways, yeah, the, the idea that it's, it's just a simple thing. I've loved your heart and in, I know, you know, where most of your church would, totally. would lie on probably and it would probably be opposite on a lot of things, but you've moved towards them in love. And that's what we want to do, especially in this uh, King Jesus 2020 movement is to move towards each other and towards Jesus and like have these hard conversations. And it, even if it doesn't sway us, even if it does sway us to open our hearts to, to mm-hmm. each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's so, it's such a beautiful idea. So totally. thanks for presenting yeah. that. Yeah. Me. I don't even know what my... <laughs> I'll admit two things based off what you said. Number one, I do have an agenda and it's not very hidden. It's I want to care for my kids. So, sure. you know, that's pretty much on the table. <laughs> the second uh, the second one is um, I, I totally agree that the complexity of you can have 
someone else come in right after me and talk about healthcare from an opposite perspective that will make the same arguments about loving your neighbor. And I get it. Mm. I get it. It's complicated. Um, And I want to keep it complicated. Like Mm. I feel like faithful Christian witness needs to be okay with it being complicated and, and really being willing to say, I'm going to, I'm going to pray hard. I'm going to seek the spirit. I'm going to talk to my community. I'm going to find out as much as I can. And then I'm going to vote my conscience and I'm going to be okay with where I voted my conscience. Mm-hmm. I love that. Keep it complicated. That's I think great. it's I think it's been really interesting just sitting here. I haven't I haven't vocalized kind of where I I am, but I've mainly because I'm just like I'm I'm eating this up. As I mentioned in another um, podcast, I probably lean on the opposite of very um, politically intense or minded. Like I feel like I'm still learning and I'm um, trying to understand. Um, And so I think that's what's been so huge, even just in this conversation of like, wow, I, I probably didn't have um, too big of an opinion on either, either side of yes or no, more so just with kind of others I agreed with and believed with and, oh, where are they at? Okay, then yeah, I, I, I probably align with that person. Um, but just hearing your heart and your and your um, your side of it, I'm just kind of blown away of like, wow, okay, yes, this is a lot more complex um, than we can even make it. This is a lot more gray. This is not as black and white as even I would like to make it. Um, um, and even just with past conversations that we've had. And um, so I, yeah, so thank you um, for just your boldness and um, your clarity and, and helping helping us who maybe don't um, always think about these um, conversations in this way. Um, so it's, it's pushing me to think um, and, and really kind of be okay with that tension um, and, and live in that tension. And okay, this is, this is bigger than even I can, I, I want to make it simple in my, in my head and in my thoughts, but no, the way to love, it, it's going to look different, um, loving different people and all of that. Yeah. This podcast is for Jesus, right? It's about mm-hmm. not what are our thoughts about the world for Jesus, <laughs> right. but how do we live for Jesus? All of yeah. life is all for Jesus. Right. And even when you think about Jesus, as you just said, he does keep it complicated. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. There's yeah. sometimes where he's going to, um, not say much and just kind of give a hug and wipe a tear. And there's other times he's going to call you a whitewashed tomb and um, you don't always get the same exact thing. And and that's because relationships and love Mm -hmm. require complication. And so uh, Jeremy, we just really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And uh, we really appreciate you just uh, what you're doing and the way that you are shining light into a place that, and to a, a whole community of people that maybe don't see as much of it or see it differently. And so, uh, yeah, we thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I was happy to be able to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks man. Um, well, listen, uh, it's been a great conversation and we hope you'll tune in next time with for Jesus. Alessi, have a great one. Thank you. You too. Reese. Always. <laughs> and Jeremy, thanks for stopping by. Sure. All right. Bye now. <laughs>